This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It was a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Hey, what's up? Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Roll Pod, an Alabama sports podcast from Bama 247. I am staff writer Cody Goodwin, and I'm glad that you're here. I'm joined today by Mike Rodak, fellow staff writer at Bama 247. And Mike, we've got a lot to discuss today. We're going to touch on some transfer portal stuff, um, and then we'll also put a bow on Alabama's 23-24 season. But first, it's been a week since the Rose Bowl, um, since the holiday season. I think a lot of us dealt with that postseason sickness that kind of you know, comes with covering a bowl game with a million different people um, all coming from different parts of the country. Also, I think we're all just generally tired at the end of these college football seasons. How are you feeling, man? I feel better. I don't know if I was patient zero or not. I was sick in Pasadena slightly. Ooh. I mean, it wasn't anything. Uh, you know, honestly, the worst I probably had it was right before um, the Ohio State National Championship game three years ago now. I was throwing up there was like a three three or four day stretch in between they played the rose bowl in dallas against notre dame and then they went to miami to play ohio state and that was bad like i was throwing up for a couple days it was uh january 6th 2021 a uh notable day for other reasons but i remember sitting <laughs> on the couch and i was uh kind of in and out of it that day so it's it's typical january uh illness in our business i guess I know, right? I feel like every time the seasons change, it just kind of like, you know, naturally go through like allergies and whatnot. So it's like, I'm usually, I'm not like down for the count, but it's like, I kind of have to muscle through a head cold. Um, man, after we, I went back, so I flew in and out of Kansas City. I got back to Kansas City and I just like collapsed for a couple of days. I was just like <laughs> down for the count, combination of bad sleep and whatever bug was flying around Pasadena. Um, it was not great. So um, we ended up taking the rest of last week off. Wanted to get to the season a bit last week, but I think we were all just kind of between the transfer portal stuff and us just trying to get back home and get resettled. Kicked it to today, January 8th. Um, later today, Michigan and Washington will play in the national championship game. We're recording this on Monday morning. Alabama, of course, not in the title game after last week's 27-20. Overtime loss to Michigan. Crazy stat from after that game that I'm not sure we've talked about here. Maybe we can touch on it a little later in the show. Um, but Alabama now three seasons without winning a national title for the first time since Nick Saban uh, became Alabama's head coach. That's just a remarkable stat. Um, we'll take a stab at uh, writing the season obit here in just a moment. But I wanted to start um, with the transfer portal, the first portal window. There's two of them every year. The first one opened December 4th, stayed open until January 2nd. But because Alabama made the college football playoff, that meant the portal would stay open for an additional, I believe it was five days after the season ended. So the portal closed this past weekend. In total, 16 Alabama players entered the transfer portal in this early window. Six of them have already figured out their new homes, I believe. Um, again, we're recording this Monday morning. I think Malik Benson may be deciding sometime today what his um, new destination could be. But the 16 guys that did enter the portal, Tyler Buckner, uh, Ja'Cory Brooks, um, Anquin Barnes, Seth McLaughlin, uh, Earl Little Jr., Eli Holstein, Terrence Ferguson, Roydell Williams, Shaz Preston, Malik Benson, Miles Kitzelman, Isaiah Hastings, Monkel Goodwine, Ian Jackson, Christian Story, Jake Pope. So defensive backs, receivers, a running back, a couple offensive linemen kind of hit the whole – there's a lot of different players hit the portal. Um, any general thoughts, observations, things that kind of jumped out, Mike, with regards to you know Alabama's transfer portal entries? Not terribly surprising. Um, you know, I think the the names that probably surprised me the most, I think 
you know, you probably share the same opinion. Earl Little, I think, was the biggest one that kind of caught people by surprise. And, um, you know, I talked to him at media day at the Rose Bowl and sounded like a guy who was coming back. Um, but it also was a situation where, you know, I don't know if anybody last week was seriously thinking about Malachi Moore coming back for a fifth year. And I, I do think there's, I don't know, a hundred percent correlation, but I do think it played, you know, a role in his decision when he's the backup star. And I think there was an assumption all year long that Malachi would go to the NFL and that would be Earl Little's job to lose, so to speak, you know, going into next year. But, you know, Malachi comes back and, um, you know, that changes things for Earl Little. Now there's still a job open at outside corner. And I think Earl Little is a capable outside corner. Um, but there's also a lot of competition for that job. So, you know, is there a better spot for him at Florida State, you know, to, to earn a starting role? You know, maybe. Is there more money at Florida State? Probably. Um, that's typically how these things go. And, um, you know, Florida State's been aggressive, I think, in the portal. You know, it's not just or a little. I think, um, you know, Terrence Ferguson's already visited there and you could go there. Malik Benson, as you mentioned, uh, looks like he's deciding between Florida and Florida State. So, you know, they seem like a team that's aggressively trying to get some some players in and uh you know it kind of happened last year with tcu you know bringing in i think three alabama players um colorado brought in a couple alabama players last year like what schools out there just looking to spend money looking to bring guys in and um that's where guys tend to go but yeah little i think was the biggest surprise um you know i think roy dell um you know it's he's a good player but I think it's time for the train to kind of keep moving. And you have Jim Miller and Justice Haynes waiting. And if Roydell was to come back and Jace was to come back, I don't know if you keep those guys, the younger guys, um, especially with Richard Young still around. And then you brought in two freshmen, you know, Daniel Hill committing over the weekend. You have your five guys. It's Miller, Haynes, or Haynes Miller, Young, uh, Kevin Riley, and Daniel Hill. Like it's, it's going to be a younger running back group. Uh, but I think that's okay. I think there's more upside in in those guys than there is in, in Roydell and Jace. And, um, you know, Nick Kelly from the, the Tuscaloosa News reported over the weekend that, that Jace is expected to declare for the draft, which I think is a smart move on his part. On his part, he has a lot of mileage in the tires already. I don't know if adding another year of college football is going to help him for the NFL. I think it's only going to add to that odometer and um, maybe even shorten his NFL career and i think right now he'd probably be a mid-round pick somewhere fourth fifth round and might as well just go start in the nfl because the lifespan for NFL running backs is not very long and a lot of guys aren't getting that big second deal so that would make sense on his end yeah well and i wonder too you know i know that roy dell's in the portal but i wonder if he doesn't like take a stab or at the potential you know potentially going in the nfl because i you know a running back of his capability he averaged five yards a carry um he's not going to be a featured back but like, you know, that's a late day two, early day three guy that teams might take a flyer on if for nothing else, four cheap years of running backs. And, you know, he's a guy that, you know, he could be a third down back. He could be a short yardage back. Like he's pretty, he's pretty well built. Um, you know, I think he proved this year that he can catch some out of the backfield, but I think he may be a little bit more valuable in pass protection. So maybe he goes that route. I know he's in the portal currently, but I know that, you know, there have been other players who entered the portal and then ultimately made the jump to the NFL. Cam Ward is kind of maybe the most high profile one, but He's quarterback, not a running back. So we'll see. I think the other one, too, that really jumped out to me, um, Terrence Ferguson jumping in the portal. Um, I know that he wants to play guard um, and Alabama set at guard next year with both Tyler Booker and, and Jaden Roberts coming back. Um, I just think like to have a swing, like a, an interior lineman who can play all three of those positions. He did snap a little bit. I don't know that he got any live reps at center. Um, that's valuable. Like, I mean, we saw it with, you know, Ferg started a game this past year at South Florida. Um, you know, I, I think if he wasn't maybe dinged up a little bit, he could have been the guy that got plugged in at AM. It ultimately was Jaden Roberts and Roberts never gave the job back. Um, you know, and I think there was maybe a thought, you know, because now that Seth McLaughlin's leaving, um, you know, that Ferg could be one of, he could be a potential solution at center. Right. And I think that that was something that I think a lot of people were maybe like, you know, okay, like how are they going to find a way to get all three of these guys in the lineup? Now that he's in the portal, I, I don't know that he's committed anywhere yet. So Alabama could recruit him back out of the portal if they wanted to keep him. But I, you know, I, I would advise Alabama to maybe do that just because, you know, one, it could be a potential solution at center, but two, like it's valuable to have offensive line depth, especially in the interior. 
um, you know, which is, I think, a part of the offensive line, especially the first part of the season where Alabama really struggled this year. And, you know, they finally plugged Roberts in and they were able to settle a few things. And Seth obviously had his snap issues and, um, you know, maybe wasn't, you know, the best blocker, like pure blocker per se. But I don't know. Like that's that one. I think, you know, if he ultimately commits somewhere else and I know he's already taken a couple of visits, I think that's one that Alabama is going to be like, man, I, I kind of wish we would have kept that one. Um, that said, um, you know, and this is kind of a similar, one of the other thoughts I had was that, you know, a lot of DBs, um, with Earl Little, Christian Story, Jake Pope, you know, guys that, you know, I felt like were in line to contribute very, pretty heavily next season. Um, you know, Story and Little, maybe more than Pope, but I feel like Pope could have jumped in and given him a few good snaps. Um, maybe says a lot about the incoming defensive backs. So, you know, maybe Ferg jumping in, maybe says a lot about how they feel about a Casey Poe, for example. Um, you know, that's it. He hasn't gone through the spring practices yet, but he was there with them during bowl prep. And, um, you know, I know coaches are pretty high on him, even though I think they're still going to be hunting offensive linemen either through, um, you know, the, the final touches on their 24 class, but then also through the portal between this window and the late window. Um, I don't know. Like, it's, I, I feel like Ferg's a guy that I, 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 for Alabama's sake, I hope that they're continuing to recruit him back out of the portal to maybe keep him in Tuscaloosa. That one, that one was a little bit of a head scratcher, but it's also one where I kind of get it just because who Alabama has returning. Yeah, it'd be rare. I mean, for a guy to come back, I think in the last three years, the only guy who has was Jalen Moody, uh, who's gone into the portal and come back to Alabama. And typically, you know, Alabama's not going to pay what other people are going to pay. And so if a guy goes in, sees the money elsewhere, like Alabama's not typically going to match that. So, um, you know, I think it would be good. At, yeah, you talk about like most surprising. I think Little is probably the most surprising, only because Ferg, there have been a lot of discussion about him going to the portal for several weeks now i think the biggest loss though could be ferg in terms of what they they lose from from 2024 um because yeah i mean he certainly could be their starting center you or could have been their starting center with seth leaving and again seth i think was expected to leave a lot of people were um anticipating that so um yeah it's a tough spot i think center is going to be their biggest need going into the spring um i think you can get a pretty long look at james brockermeyer who's been around i mean they've seen him already now for three years. Uh, but you talk about, you know, spring practice beginning and I think it's nine weeks or so uh, the middle of March. I think James Brockemeyer, unless there's a change here in the next few weeks, is probably your first team center um, in spring practice. And you just kind of see where he's at and maybe he surprises and you start to say, hey, you know, maybe this guy will you know be a, a viable option here. Uh, but maybe, you know, you get through that spring period. You're like, yeah, we still need a center. Uh, and you can look at Casey Poe too. I think it's it's a big leap for a freshman to play center and, and be the one making the line calls and, and seeing the defenses and all that goes along with that. Um, but I don't know if it's undoable, um, you know, impossible for him to do that. So, you know, I think those are the two guys right now that you would look at is Brockemeyer and Poe. But you do have that spring window you have graduates who can go into the portal at any time and as these things sometimes go there's back channels and you know you want to say you can pull a guy into the portal but sometimes that's how it happens um you know you kind of make it clear that there's a a need and a desire to have a guy and sometimes a guy will come out um again it's that's kind of how it works these days in, in college football so um yeah that's their biggest need and, um, you know, I, we knew there was going to be a, a decent amount of players going in. I mean, just to get down to 85, um, you know, they have they, – I think they were a little bit above 85 this year. Um, and sometimes you can kind of get away with gray shirts and kind of tweaking the system a little bit. But they were in the mid-90s kind of going into this. And most of their guys were enrolling early as freshmen. So you kind of need those scholarships right away. You can't really wait until the summer, you know, to – cut down so yeah there was going to be about 10 12 guys going to the portal i think the number was a little bit higher than we expected going up to 16 um but you know that's you also brought in a couple freshmen late in mincy and, and daniel hill so that kind of balances things out yeah what their recruiting class grew to 25 with mincy and hill over the weekend um but you know it but then, be 26 I mean, with with ryan williams if he commits to or if he signs to yeah, he got another month, I think, to figure that one out. Um, so, yeah, could be 26 incoming recruits plus, you know, 16 portal guys in addition to, you know, I, are we up to six, seven, eight NFL draft declarations? Um, so it, it 
feels like the numbers are starting to kind of mold and, and sort themselves out a little bit, but mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it's always, I mean, it's always going to be, the math's going to work out in terms of more guys leaving, especially in this era where we're still dealing with the COVID waivers. Uh, you know, those guys still count. So if, you know, Tim Smith comes back, which I think we're expecting, obviously Malachi, um, who else would be the seniors coming back? Uh, Quandarius Robinson, Trey Amos. Those are all COVID guys. So those still count. And, you know, you have 25 freshmen coming in. You still have, I think I counted 41 guys from the two freshman classes before that. So you're going to have more of those young guys than you're going to be able to fit older guys like 25 times four is a hundred, but you only have 85 scholarships. So um, the math doesn't really work to, to keeping everybody. So you always kind of know going in that there's going to be more losses than there will be gains. And look, I think there's still a possibility. They bring in a couple guys offensive line. I think wide receiver are the two biggest needs in terms of the portal, but I wouldn't expect a big, you know, influx of guys. Um, you know, they had two guys come in in the spring period last year in Buckner and Amos Maybe you can get a couple guys coming in the spring period this year, but right now, as we sit here, their roster is probably ninety-five percent complete in terms of what we're going to see in the fall. Got a lot of time to sort out um, other transfer portal stuff. We'll obviously keep tabs on it because the the portal may be closed for guys to officially enter, um, but everybody that's in now, I think, has as much time as they feel like they need before they make a decision. So we'll keep tabs on what Alabama ultimately does, what the roster looks like. Um, we'll probably spit out a way too early depth chart at some point, either this week or next week. Um, so stay tuned, Bama 247, for all of that good stuff. CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. We are a week removed from the end of Alabama's 23-24 season. Finished 12-2 and overall. They won the SEC West. They won the SEC outright. They made the college football playoff. Uh, took the number one ranked team um, to overtime in the college football playoff, the national semifinals. They did it with two new coordinators, a first-year starting quarterback, and plenty of talent, but also inexperience. This wasn't a joyless murder ball Alabama team, but it was a team that accomplished a lot, and I thought, for the most part, Made for a pretty fun season overall. Mike, you've covered a few Alabama seasons now. What will you ultimately remember most about the 23-24 Alabama team? <laughs> they were kind of the little engine that could. Um, <laughs> shockingly, you know, it's again, it's it's all relative. Um, you know, and Nick Saban talked all year about how proud he was of the team, especially towards the end of the year, how far they've come, and they've come further than any other team he's coached, and um, the resiliency. We kept hearing kind of those same themes you know, towards the end, especially after they beat LSU and they beat Georgia in particular. Um, and it's all kind of jarring because <laughs> it's Alabama. And um, it's like everybody kind of expected them, even though the expectations were a little bit lower this year, to kind of have them be that team that overachieved and, and brought themselves to that point is still a little bit surprising when you considered talent composite wise, you know, the 24 seven talent composite, they're number one in the country and they've had top three recruiting classes for the last five or six years and whatever it's been, you know, number one recruiting class, I think the, the best all time last year and you just expect more. So there's kind of that dichotomy of this team that grew and grew and grew and became better and fought and kind of overachieved and, maybe they even reached their ceiling, you know, against Michigan. But then there's also the fact that it's Alabama and they should be the best team in the country every year, given the talent and the rankings and what they have on their roster and who's coaching the team. So um, why is there that gap? Um, I think is the biggest question. And you can say youth, you can say inexperience. I think that's true. And certainly in some spots, I think it was a quarterback and, and Jalen kind of having to grow into that role. I think it was, Obviously, at left tackle, um, you know, the defense was very experienced. And this, how many how many first-round picks they're going to have this year? What, at least three. Um, and so, you know, we talked about a rebuilding year two years ago. 
2021 with Bryce as a first year quarterback and Will Anderson being a big player. That was a rebuilding year. Just kind of what Saban said. Last year was the year where they were supposed to win and they didn't. Does this was this year another rebuilding year? It didn't feel like it. Like it still felt like had enough talent to compete and to win a national title. Um, and then you look at next year and how young they're going to be on defense um, with some of the guys they're losing and you know, this big freshman class and you know maybe some of these more inexperienced guys like Keon Keeley and Yonze Pierre and Desmond Rex so they play bigger roles. Is next year going to be a rebuilding year too? Will the year after that be a rebuilding year if Eli Holstein's a first-year starter? Like, I don't know if I subscribe to the theory that Alabama has rebuilding years. I think every single year they have enough talent in the coaching to win a national title. And so I think it's disappointing in that context that they didn't do it this year. Um, and I think fans are fine and, and welcome, and they should be disappointed in, in where this team – finished in, in relative to what they have. So I think it's good that they grew and they got better and they accomplished what they wanted to do in beating Georgia and, um, you know, coming back from the dead at Auburn and, and things like that. But at the end of the day, like it's, it's three years now that they haven't won a national title. And for different reasons, I think you could say two years ago, they lost to Georgia in large part because of their injuries to their two best wide receivers. And that's, a perfectly fine example. I don't know if they have the same excuses last year. I don't know if they have the same excuses this year. Um, and you're getting that disconnect now between kind of the championship pedigree of Alabama. Cause it used to be every, and guys talk about this, every single recruiting class had a championship. And right now that's not really the case. There's two players on the roster right now, or I guess three, with Malachi coming back, Malachi, Quandarius Robinson, and Jamarian Latham, who were on that last championship team in 2020, plus one assistant coach, Freddie Roach. Um, you're, there's a disconnect between Alabama, the championship team, and Alabama as it stands. Like these guys weren't part of that. So um, that's different. It's strange. It's unusual. It's, it's all relative. Like I think every team in the country would love to have won a national title within the last three years, which Alabama has, but it's still different from where Alabama was. And I think that's still notable. And that's still something that needs to be talked about is has Alabama slipped a little bit. And I think the answer is yes. No, I think that's all fair. Like when you, you know, at Alabama under Nick Saban, when you've had the success that you've had, I think it's fair to expect national championship every single year. Um, that said, I feel like the way the sport is changing with the transfer portal and just the number of other really good coaches, younger coaches that are out there and about and having a lot of success. We've talked about a lot of them this season. Um, you know, it's, it's almost as if, college football. And, and in many ways it has already kind of reached this point, but I think even more so this year, just with the, you know, parody, but also lack of parody. Um, you know, like, I feel like the talent level, I know the team talent composite said that Alabama most talented team on paper, probably ever um, team talent composite, which is something that I have also leaned on at various points this season um, a little bit inexact because I think it takes into account only um, players like high school football like they're as as a high school prospect like that's the talent level and it's like some guys you know they'll go play two years jump in the portal and you know instead of being a four-star they're like a three-star transfer prospect right so like there's just i don't think it takes into account like the variance and the change that you know players go through when they they get to the collegiate level so um you know that said like i you know i, I i'm of the belief that the transfer portal has kind of spread the talent around you know because it's not you know before the transfer portal right like alabama would just stack top recruiting class on top of top recruiting class on top of top recruiting class and so like they would have four and five star guys buried on the depth chart that couldn't transfer without having to sit out another year so it's like do i you know they got to make the decision do i sit and wait my turn or do i you know go sit a year and go play somewhere else and more often than not they stayed and that gave Alabama a wicked advantage. And it also gave other programs a wicked advantage. There's a reason we saw Alabama Clemson in four consecutive national title games. Um, I think the transfer portal has allowed that talent to fan out quite a bit. We're seeing guys go just to go play. Um, you know, the I mentioned this too, like other coaches, guys like Kirby Smart, Mike Norvell, 
Dan Lanning, Kalen DeBoer, Steve Sarkeesian, all over the place, right? Jim Harbaugh has done a really good job of building, um, you know, Michigan up. Ryan Day continues to recruit at a very high level at Ohio State, on and on and on and on and on. Um, there's just, I feel like the talent is just so much more spread out now. And so it's kind of, you know, college football, again, this is circling back. I know I'm kind of going in circles here. Um, it's become a mini professional football league. And if there's anything we know about the NFL, it's that, you know, the whole any given Sunday trope is very, very true. And there's just so much talent at that level that like, if you don't bring your a game, you will lose. And I don't want to say we're there just yet with college football, because there's a difference between an Alabama and an Iowa or an Ohio state. And uh, you know, pick your bottom tier sec team, Mississippi state. Like there's, there are differences because of the talent that other programs accumulate. But in terms of like where the elite elite are, and I would argue this year, like, you know, top 10 or 12 teams were all fairly even when you combine the overall talent on the rosters, the coaching um, and just the scheme and just all the things that these all guys do that like, I, I want to say a successful season is just positioning yourself to have a chance to win a championship as opposed to, you know, championship or bust. And when you view it through that lens, I think Alabama had a very, very good season. I would argue it was the same thing I said kind of in our immediate podcast last week after the Rose Bowl. I think there were successful elements of this season. I don't know that it was 110% a successful season, but they did a lot of really good things and they took Michigan to overtime. And I think if you would have gone back to week two or three and said, yeah, this team's going to get to the playoff and get to overtime against a very talented, experienced Michigan squad to give themselves a chance, I think a lot of people would have been like, heck no, like that's not going to happen. Um, and then you know, fast forward to January one, and that's exactly where they are. They gave themselves a chance to win that. I think they're going to kick themselves over the opportunities that they left out there on the field at the Rose bowl. Um, and I think I said that last week too, but um, I understand why people are upset and why like, you know, even you, for example, are saying that like it's championship or bust with a program like this, but I just think the way the game is changing, you can put yourself in position to give yourself a chance to win big games like that. Um, hold your head up when you walk off the field, because I think there's something to be said about that. And that's different than what, a lot of people expected, though, going into the portal once that started a couple of years ago. I wrote about this before the AM game this year. As people were saying there's going to be a concentration of talent at the top. I think Nick Saban said it. You know, will the rich get richer? And he didn't want to answer that question because sometimes he doesn't want to put himself out there. But I think the assumption at the time was the rich would get richer. And people thought Alabama would just collect guys like, all right, we have a need at running back. Let's get Jameer Gibbs. And he becomes a first-round pick. We have a need at left tackle. Let's go get Tyler Steen. Let's go get Jamison Williams from Ohio State. Let's go get Henry Toa Toa to play inside linebacker. They'll just fill their needs, and the strong will get stronger. But it really hasn't happened that way. And um, Alabama's tried to fill some of their needs that way. They haven't always succeeded. Um, I'd say this past year it was meh. I mean, C.J. Dupree, I think, was decent. I don't think he was a game changer. You know, Trey Amos obviously showed some things and he'll probably be a big piece of what they do next year, but wasn't a game changer. Tyler Buckner was a, a swing and a miss. Um, so, you know, the portal hasn't really helped Alabama a ton. Let's say, you know, this year, last year, to some degree, I think Jermaine Burton came on more and more, especially in the second year. Tyler Harrell was a miss. So it, it hasn't been a, collection of talent just flowing into Alabama and they've lost, you know, volume wise, a lot more players than they've, they've gained. Um, so, you know, that's, I think a change or, or at least a difference from what people expected going into the portal. I think it has created more parity because of what I mentioned off the top. You have schools that out are out there like a Florida state right now, and you can bring guys in at Texas, you know, I was just looking at an Mitchell just declared for the draft. And he's a guy who was at Georgia and um, you know, now was at, Texas and Texas, I think, is one of those schools that can certainly pay really well. So it's just the way it is now. But I don't know if it's just talent either, because I think Alabama is probably the more talented team than Michigan, um, especially on paper. Like it felt like Alabama had the advantage in that area. Um, but Alabama got out coached in that game. And, you know, to be able to put Blake Corum in some of those spots, you know, that fourth down play fourth and two where Alabama basically could have ended the game and nobody covers Blake Horn out of the backfield. And you could see Nick Saban throw his arms up on the sideline as Blake Horn is running past them. And, you know, the touchdown earlier, uh, yeah, the touchdown earlier in the game, the Corum. Same idea. Yeah. And then you had the touchdown to Roman Wilson. 
where he was wide open. Um, and then you had Blake Horn just run over people into the end zone, which I think was more embarrassing um, in overtime on two plays. So, you know, I, Alabama got out coached, and I, you would have thought, you know, Kevin Steele with his experience would be able to stop Michigan in that critical situation. It didn't happen. You would have thought that Tommy Reese maybe would be able to draw something up that, you know, the offense just didn't look right all day. Um, and that, that touchdown early, like the fluky stuff in that game went against Michigan. Like the, the muff punt was what precipitated Jace McClellan getting into the end zone to score that touchdown. Without that, Jace probably never scores in that first quarter. Um, you had the muff punt late in the game that, you know, almost ended it on the safety favor, but like it's the fluky stuff was happening to Michigan, the, the missed extra point. Like, um, it's like I'd almost attribute seven of Alabama's points, eight of them, if you count the missed extra point to, you know, to Michigan just doing weird stuff. So like, I don't know. It was a strange game, but well, I think it's kind also, of, yeah. You know, when you get to the, like, you know, and to, to kind of use the, the mini NFL example, like how many times do we watch games on Sunday and you've got a history of covering the NFL too, where like, you know, tight games like that against really good teams. Like, you know it when you see it, you can feel it. You know, they're decided on a play call here and there. They're decided on a player just deciding to, you know, I'm better than you on this play. I'm going to rumble six yards for the first down, or I'm going to do this and score the touchdown or whatever. Like, that's kind of what that game felt like. And it, and it very similar to um, the Alabama-Texas game back in week two. Like, Alabama played, I would argue, the game it wanted to play for three quarters. And then there was a five-minute burst in the fourth quarter where Sark's play calling took over. And that was the difference in that game. And then, you know, same thing with Alabama, Michigan, like for the most part, you know, I, Alabama had a lead with less than five minutes to go. Like they were playing the game. They wanted to play the game. Maybe they had to play that day to win that game. And then, you know, one play call on fourth and two kind of opened the floodgates a little bit. And then, you know, credit Sharon Moore, Michigan's offensive coordinator for just kind of, you know, spamming the stuff that worked and, you know, Roman Wilson had to make a good play. Blake Horn made a few good plays. J.J. McCarthy, that drive to go tie the game. Like, you know, I, I I really enjoy saying, you know, when it comes to NFL, you know, the NFL game, like seasons can be swung on games and games can be swung on plays. So like single plays in the NFL can literally decide seasons in some capacity if you let it. I want to say we're almost there with the college game um, or at least like the game that we saw at the Rose Bowl and I would argue even the Sugar Bowl later that night too. Like those teams were so high level that it had that feel to it. Um, and so, you know, are they going to kick themselves over some of their miscues and mistakes? Yeah. Um, but you still put yourself there and, and, you know, in position to potentially win that game multiple times over you, even despite all of those mistakes. Right. And I think one of the frustrating things for Alabama fans and all that's true. But it was kind of the same argument last year. It was, all right, well, they were in position to win against Tennessee in a tough environment. They were in position to win against LSU in a tough environment. And it has had those little bursts of things just kind of fell apart. You know, Tennessee. That's a good point. Offense, Alabama's offense stalled. Tennessee got the ball back with whatever it was, 30 seconds on the clock and went down and scored a field goal. Just like that. You know, Brew McCoy is, is two catches, I think, on that drive. And – and then the LSU game, it was the same thing. LSU came down and then boom, Jaden Daniels was, was in the end zone or was had that big run in, in overtime. And then it was the, the um, two-point conversion to um, uh, Taylor, you know, in the LSU game. And it was – it felt like the Michigan game. It was like, all right, the team just kind of collapsed at that moment. And Nick Saban was talking last year about, you know, the, didn't have it in the key moments. They didn't embrace hard. Um, you know, it was kind of – they had it in front of them and they didn't seize it well was this team any different in 2023 because you can make the same argument against texas that they had it they were winning 16 13 i think in the third quarter late in the mm -hmm. third quarter against texas and then boom texas it just beat them and then same thing against michigan you had them beat 20 to 13 michigan comes back 2020 and then 27 20 so it's kind of the same thing. You have two losses yeah. that are close, um, arguably less close than last year, 2022. Um, and the team just didn't do what they needed to do at the right time. So that's, I think, frustrating for people because, especially if you go back and <laughs> look at 2021, well, the same thing happened against Georgia in the fourth quarter. You had a lead against Georgia in a national championship game, and you let that completely slip away. That was a collapse in the fourth quarter.
A&M game where they lost in 2021. You had A&M who drove down the field and, and won the game against you. And I think so, it's even more frustrating this year. And like, the, yeah. and this is one thing I wrote about right after the game too, that like, you know, when their defense kind of goes into that, like, you know, suffocation mode, like more often than not, they, they come up with the big play. Um, we saw it against Ole Miss. We saw it against Tennessee. We saw it against Georgia. Um, yeah. On and on and on. Like you can go to like literally A&M, they backed them up 16 yards and scored a safety. Like that was, right. you know, and they won by six, like it, you know, so to, to, to then not see them do that, um, you know, it was jarring, it was surprising. And it's like, you know, the margins are thin at that level. And like you, you know, the last few years, Alabama has not been able to do it when it matters most. I, they, they've been able to do it multiple times against really good teams in the regular season. But I, you know, I guess, you know, when it matters most, when they needed it, um, haven't been able to come through. Does that, is that, what does that mean? Like, what do we, what do we think about that? Yeah, it's, it's experience. And I think it is dangerous sometimes. I think I saw some people talking about like, you know, Michigan's probably a more experienced team. Yeah. Alabama I, needs I think experience. by a lot. Yeah. Right. But I, I think it's dangerous to play the game of like, here's the team that beat us. Here's what they look like. And that's what we need to be because you can go right down the list. And for a while it was Georgia. Like what does Georgia look like? Alabama needs to look more like Georgia. Well, A&M beat them. Tennessee beat them. LSU beat them. And those teams are all different. Like they all have different things that they've done well. It's like, does Alabama need a Jaden Daniels like LSU? Do they need what Georgia has? Do they need what Michigan has? Like, I don't know if there's one right answer. I think it's probably a combination of those things. And it's it's frustrating at this point for Alabama because it used to be everybody else was trying to be what Alabama was and they couldn't. And now Alabama is trying to be what other teams are that are beating them. And there's been six different teams now in the last three years that I beat them. Um, and again, I don't know if there's a, a straight answer. There's a, a right way to do it. And they're bringing guys in, you know, these freshman classes are worth getting excited about because there's a lot of good players in them, but it's, I still go back to the ability to develop and retain them is much, much different than it, it used to be. And, you know, we sit here with a lot of excitement about Keon Keeley and what he might be able to do next year. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's gone in a year. Like, that's kind of the reality of, of how this is. And it wasn't that way five, six years ago. Like, Keon Keeley would have been stuck, so to speak, in Alabama. And he probably would have been a good player in three or four years. You could probably guarantee it. But it ain't that way anymore, as Nick Saban likes to say. And, um, you know, that's that's been hard for them. And I think I went through you know, those 2022, 2023 classes, and they've lost already a decent amount of players from them. Um, And I guess that 41 number is before Jake Pope's, and now it's down to 40, but there's still 40 players left from those two classes of your roster. It's basically half your roster. And if you add in LT Overton and Damani Jackson and Nicole Bertrand, who are all part of those two classes, then you're basically talking half your roster of those two classes. And you can pick... Proctor, Downs, Booker, Bond, Campbell that have really been significant contributors. Maybe Kendrick Law, maybe Kobe Prentice, maybe Amari Nyblack. So five to eight players out of those 40 have seen the field and done significant things for you. That might be a problem. Like, I think you need more out of those guys. And I don't know if it means playing guys sooner. I think they, it seems like they purposely played Justice Haynes a little bit more. And I think they probably need to do a little bit more of that sort of thing. Um, but that also runs counter to the whole thing we just talked about of needing more experience. So I, it's different. And, and I think Nick Saban's I don't know if having troubles the right word, but I think there's been a little bit of an issue of just trying to figure out what buttons to push, which players to that you want, which players to put in the right spots. Like it hasn't come quite as easily to him as it did five, 10 years ago. And I think that's, that's evident right now. Talked a lot about um, the disappointments, I guess, of, of the finish of the season, but there were a lot of, I think a lot of really fun moments um, from this season. Um, let's flip it positive here for the last uh, few minutes here. What was like, what were some of the, what are the fun moments that you're going to remember from this season? Like when you think of 23, 24, like what's what's gonna be the oh yeah like that happened like with a big smile on your face I got to cover that like what are you what are you gonna remember most? Yeah, I mean I think it the two games I think everybody will remember most are Auburn and Georgia. Um, 
and really the ending of Auburn, I think was the most memorable <laughs> thing. I don't know. There's a ton else in that game. I was like, all right, like you'll always be thinking about that. You know, the Georgia game actually probably had less memorable individual moments in it, but just for them to win and look as good as they did, I think was surprising and memorable in its own. Um, yeah, the Texas game in a different light, it's not to get too negative, but I'm still like, I was still in a state of shock just sitting there in the last five minutes of that game in Brian Denny Stadium, watching Texas run the ball, run the clock out by running the ball against Alabama and successfully doing so. Like, of my five years covering this team, that was the most shocking moment of like, this doesn't feel right. This feels so different. And it really hadn't happened in years and years and years. I mean, and teams have won in Brian Denny. Like, I watched the LSU game in 2019, that was different. Um, Old Miss in 2015, like there's been a few teams that have won there, but to win the way that Texas did was really almost unprecedented in the the Saban era. So um, that will be something I'll remember. Um, but also the Georgia game, just thinking, man, like how good this Alabama team looked. So, and then you know the Rose Bowl. I think a because it's my first time at the Rose Bowl, but be standing down there on the field and kind of watching all that unfold and how quickly the game turned um, really from the time I left the press box until the time that we walked in the locker room was, was pretty shocking. Yeah, no, I mean, it kind of gets to the idea that like, you know, in the NFL, I know we're kind of bouncing around a lot of different ideas here, but NFL games can change on plays and seasons can change on games. And so it's, you know, that I would argue that fourth and two was the one that kind of opened the floodgates because up until then Michigan hadn't done anything in the second half of that game. I'm going to remember at fourth and 31, obviously like that was just remarkable for a million different reasons. Um, I agree with you on the Georgia game that that version of Alabama, I felt like was, you know, the best team in the country um, based on just everything that we had seen throughout the course of the year. Um, but also like, you know, like the, the growth of Jalen Milrow, for example, like it was really fun to kind of see him, you know, game by game, like you could see the confidence growing. Um, you know, he took a beating at college station, but still found a way to chuck it deep for 300 yards. Um, the LSU game where he went toe to toe with Jaden Daniels, like that was just a lot of fun where it was, I mean, it was kind of a one-on-one matchup between those two dudes. That was really cool. Um, you know, seeing the, uh, I, I think Ole Miss was probably the first game where, um, you know, I watched and I was like, dude, like this defense could be pretty good. Right. Because, you know, and that was only week four and we didn't know that Ole Miss was going to, I mean, we knew Ole Miss's offense was going to be pretty good. Um, I don't think we knew at that point in time that they were going to finish like top 10 in virtually every category and Alabama basically shut them down, um, all game long, like held them 10 points, 300 yards. Like that was really impressive. Um, the comeback against Tennessee, like just a lot of like really fun defensive moments. Like I know like Dallas Turner was kind of the dude off the edge, but like, you know, it was really fun to watch Chris Braswell step up in various moments. Um, I'm sure like, this is probably part of my brand now, but like watching Caleb Downs every single week, do something spectacular. Like that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, just cause it's like, man, like this dude can play. And then after certain games, it's just like, dude, like this dude can really play. Um, you know, like he, I, it was, I don't know. Like there was just a lot of fun moments like that. Like watching Will Reichard set the all-time NCAA scoring record. I know there's maybe a little bit of an asterisk on that, but like a lot of points that that dude came up with this season. And I, you know, even at the Rose Bowl, right. He hit two from 50 plus um, to really help Alabama take control of that game for a little while. Um, I don't know. Like it was just, there were, there were a lot of interesting and fun characters throughout the course of this Alabama season um, that were, you know, it was it's my first season. Right. So like, you always remember your first time, but like there was, I don't know, like it was just a lot of, it was a lot of fun. There were a lot of interesting characters and it was, it was, you know, and I think I've said this before too, how often do we see, you know, and even like, you know, I came down here from big 10 country. How often do you see Alabama week one or week two square off against another top 10 team? And they just beat the doors off them in, you know, on a national stage and everybody's like, yep, Alabama is going to be good again. Like that, that was not the case this year. Like their big early season matchup against Texas, like they got beat down like that. You mentioned just the way that Texas was able to, you know, control that game in the fourth quarter. Like, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people did write Alabama off very early, you know, especially when you combine week two with week three. And so it was kind of fun to see, you know, one, those characters up close and kind of how they dealt with that. But then two, to see them, 
from up close really climb out of the abyss. Um, that was that was a lot of fun, right? Like the emergence of Terry and Arnold, um, you know, Braswell doing his thing. Um, I thought it was, you know, to really kind of get into the weeds here, watching Jihad Campbell kind of take over at, at middle linebacker, even though he joined as an edge and just watching him kind of grow as a linebacker, as a defender overall. Uh, mentioned Caleb Downs, mentioned Kool-Aid. Um, it was fun to see like Isaiah Bond really take some big steps forward at receiver. Um, you know, like there was just, it was fun to see Roy Dell in his moments. We got to talk to him quite a bit this season. Um, you know, I know he's in the transfer portal and he's probably on his way out somewhere else, but I don't know, man, like there was just a lot of really fun characters, a part of this Alabama team that, um, you'd know better than me, but I, you know, I don't know that they were framed maybe in the same light in previous seasons as they maybe were this season. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's true. And there's, again, it's all relative, like. I want to say like this team didn't really do anything that was remarkable compared to other Alabama teams. It was just like the expectations were lower. So it in some ways looked better. Um, <laughs> it, it, it just changed everything. And Saban's talked about that too. Like when you don't have the expectations, it just lifts a, a burden off of you a little bit. And um, I mean, the game that felt closest to like, this is Alabama was probably like middle Tennessee or Chattanooga. You're just sitting there like, all right, like 63 points. And, Mississippi State, Kentucky, out. maybe? Yeah, well, Kentucky. Yeah, I forgot about Kentucky. That was probably yeah. the closest. And I, I think I said 20, 28 to 7 in like 10 minutes. <laughs> right. I said that to you in the press box. I'm like, man, this feels like old Alabama, and it had an all season. Um, so, like, that that was the closest they came to, like, getting back to where I, I remember them when I first covered them. Um, but the rest of the season was a grind, and they could have lost – count them like four different five different games like we're certainly capable of losing and they lost two so that's a credit to them um but that's again six losses now in the last three years and no national championships and um just feels different and i don't know we'll see next year i think there's there's going to be some optimism because you have milrow coming back and he's going to be not a heisman favorite maybe but like top three Alabama's probably going to be a preseason top five team somewhere, but we'll see. I think next year could have similar characteristics where it's like the expectations are a little bit lower and um, it's a little bit more of a grind. I mean, it certainly will be with their schedule and um, we'll see where it lands. It's all, everything's going to be a different context because it's going to be more NFL style. You can lose a couple games, you get into the playoffs, you get hot at the right time and that's all you really need to do. So next year is going to be, I say next year, it's this year already, I guess, but it's going to be a lot different for sure. I do wonder, um, you know, as kind of, we slowly wrap up here, um, you know, they, like Alabama got hot. Like I think that, you know, that there was a lot of momentum and energy that kind of carried into the SEC championship game. Um, I'm not saying a month off hurt them because that whole first quarter at the Rose bowl between both Alabama and Michigan was just like really weird. And like, you could tell that, not that there was rust, but that like clearly these guys hadn't played in a month um, with the 12 team playoff and the fact that there's going to be games all throughout the month of December. I do wonder how this specific Alabama team would have fared if they would have gotten to play sooner because they had just gotten into that rhythm of just, you know, play, recover, practice, play, recover, practice. Like I just I wonder what that would have looked like, how this team would have done if they would have gotten to play more games a little bit sooner than maybe taking a whole month off and going through all the Rose Bowl pageantry. Um, you know, I think Alabama fans hope that, you know, they go 13-0 and and they're the number one seed in the 12-team playoff, which means they would get a first round by anyway. But, um, you know, I think there is something to the idea that like, hey, we're playing really well, let's keep playing, right? As opposed to just sitting for a month and um I don't know. Like that was, that was a thought that kind of went into my head and then it immediately went out the window when the entire first quarter of the Rose bowl was just bizarre. Yeah. I mean, it goes both ways. Michigan probably <clears throat> make the same argument. You know, it's, yeah, it's, um, cause they would have, if it was a 12 team playoff this year, they would have hosted, I think it was Missouri. I mean, it depends on how you arrange it, but it, they would have hosted somebody middle of December, but then they would have had to play two different bowl games to get to the national championship. So oh, you're potentially dude. right. Yeah. You're, you're, <laughs> you know, you're playing like a Rose bowl against Michigan. Then you're heading out the next week and you're playing like a peach bowl against Georgia or, you know, or Washington or somebody or Texas. Like you basically have to beat two of those teams just to get to the national championship and then play a third one. So 
yeah i think it was like they had a lot of close games and i felt like this was kind of like you know it's kind of law of averages like you have so many close games you're going to lose a couple i feel like with this the way this team was you're trying to play three really good teams you're playing a lot of close games i think they would have lost one of them just by the law of averages no, I think that's that's that is a that's a fair argument. Um, I think if you would have used like March Madness style like bracketing, right, like with the final playoff poll, Alabama would have been a four, so they would have had a first round by. Florida State was the five, and they would have played the twelve, which I think, based on the formula, would have been SMU, right or no? Um, it depends on how you. I mean, it depends on how you arrange all of it because you could argue that. If you're losing next year's conference alignments, then Texas would have been the SEC, you know, the first round by team from the SEC. Yeah. If you're losing this year's, then it, Texas is Big 12. So, again, there's no perfect way of doing it. Um, yeah, Alabama. I was literally just taking like the top 12 from the college football playoff. And so, like, Alabama the four, Florida State the five, and then five would play the 12 in the first round, which I think in this scenario would have been the, you know, the G5 champ which right. was Liberty. That's who they ranked the highest. So you would add Florida State, Liberty, winner gets Alabama, and then mm-hmm. winner would have probably, you know, who was the 8-9 matchup, Mizzou, Penn State, winner gets Michigan, and then, you know, there's into right. the semifinal. So um, great podcasting, trying to draw out a visual with my with my hands. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like That's, that's probably a conversation for um, this upcoming season. Any other final thoughts on Alabama's 23-24 season before we sign off your mic? No, I think that that covers it. And again, it's a different year, strange year. Next year could be just as strange is kind of my message right now. That, uh, I mean, I feel like that's the state of college football. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It'll be interesting to kind of follow and track all the transfer portal stuff, all of, you know, college football's free agency. What's it going to look like over the next few months? Um, we will be sure to keep tabs on all of that at Bama 247. But that's all we've got today on this show. We appreciate you guys listening. We'll be back probably sometime later this week, maybe have another discussion about the transfer portal, um, about Alabama's offseason needs, where they can look, what they can do, maybe even talk a little bit of hoops action since, yes, it is basketball season. Um, We'll try to squeeze all of that into a show later this week. In the meantime, though, be sure to rate and review the show wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, even our Bama 247 YouTube page. We are back on YouTube. Hi, Mom. Subscribe to Bama 247 and 247 Sports. Believe we're still running that 60% off annual VIP special. Um, Comes out to about $43 for the entire year. You can get... Um, you know, all of your football offseason happenings, transfer portal news, spring practice is going to be here in a couple months. I believe the senior bowl is going to be here in just a few weeks. Um, obviously some hoops action and all of Brett's recruiting um, analysis coming up. I know that there's another signing period coming up uh, in about a month as well. So be sure to take advantage of that deal, especially if you are an Alabama fan. Thank you again, Mike, for joining us. We appreciate you guys listening as always, and we will talk to you all again soon.